into it. Freak out. Hello, how are you guys doing out there? This is another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, where me, your pal Dane Owls, and my co-host Christopher Brother Ray Patton break down wrestling from the last week. Uh, new listeners, thanks for joining us. We usually do this show on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and sometimes on Saturdays at noon. This was definitely one of those weeks, so if you're a past listener, thank you guys so much. Regardless, go to geekvibesnation.com. There you'll find links to our news articles for the website. And then you can find links to our social media platforms at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Geek Vibes Nation. And then also, if you want to listen not live on Blog Talk, search Wrestling Geeks Alliance on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, whatever it is, it's on that platform. But like I was saying, I am joined here by my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How are you doing, sir? I am doing wonderful, sir. Just uh, feels good to get back in the swing of things. Two shows in one week. Just did the wrestling, uh, Wrestle Kingdom recap. Uh, we're in full swing, man. How are you doing this weekend? I'm doing good, man. You know, and and with me, three podcasts this week coming back. You know, we were a little lackadaisical over at Geek Vibes Nation, at least I would say on my part. But you know, we were visiting family, enjoying the holidays. But now we're back to provide you guys with some content. And uh, yeah, what an episode to start off on. Not only are we going to be talking about, you know, we, we, we talked previously about the last decade because we were able to do that, which is pretty cool in concept. We finished a decade of wrestling, went back, looked at the wrestlers, the matches, what made that decade of the 2010s so damn good. This time, we're going to do like we normally do and break up our top 10 favorite male wrestlers, top 10 favorite female wrestlers, top five matches, and top five tag teams of this last year. And also, we'll be able to go over the first week of the Wednesday Night Wars, which, uh, <laughs> if you're an NXT fan, like all of us are, and, and myself included, was not so good on their part, but we'll talk about the ratings once we get past the actual, uh, you know, going through the thing. Um, either way, let's start off with some lists, Chris. Uh, do you want to start, just go right into it and start uh, ripping off this band-aid? Sure, man. Sounds good. All right, so I believe that the way that we did it, well, we have a lot more time. We're going to do it two by two. And then the, the last uh, maybe two will kind of just single so we have a little more time to talk about each other or about those said people. Right off the bat, uh, since we're doing men first, top ten men of 2019, I want to just make note that it's kind of stupid that I have to go here and clarify this, but this is all subjective. Uh, these are my personal opinions based on a little bit of favoritism, but also me looking about who had the best year. Um, and I think I, I made, I think, a list that I'm happy with, I will say. I'm going to say an honorable mention, though. Uh, one of them, I almost made my list, uh, Sammy Callahan, an impact, I think he, him, an impact in an MLW especially. He's been doing some great work. 
Uh, he's been a great heel. His feud with Tess has been great. His feud with uh, Selena De La Renta was awesome over on MLW. His ma- matches with Brian Cage, with uh, Mance Warner. You know, Sammy's definitely was very close to making my top ten. Two people I was telling Chris that weren't <laughs> on my top ten are guys that usually always make my top five. Um, and that is both Kenny Omega and AJ Styles. I just didn't think that out of who I had, it made sense to put them on the list based on the year they've had. Kenny had an amazing match with Tanahashi where he lost the title and then was in limbo for a while. Had an awesome match with Pentagon and then kind of null and voided, you know, and has had good matches with Pac here and there collectively, but has been booked kind of lesser, I would say, and AJ has been kind of stagnant. Uh, Walter, another guy I wanted to give big props for, Darby Allen. And uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, who's always an amazing performer. But uh, let me get to my 10 and 9. My number 10 is the current SmackDown uh, champion, uh, The Fiend, a.k.a. Bray Wyatt. I think that Bray, when this first happened with The Fiend, it was lightning in a bottle. I don't think they've done the best things with it. Um, Well, I'll just say this. They did everything great up until Hell in the Cell. Completely fucked it up. And instead of giving us more and different things, they kind of just went with the same stuff. So it's been a bit stagnant. But I can't say that Bray didn't have a great year. So that is why he's at number 10. And at least, if anything, he's probably the most, I think, creative concept of rebranding besides one other. But we'll get there in my countdown. My number nine is Kota Ibushi. When it comes to the workhorse title, I think that he goes and gets it ahead of a hell of a lot of other people. I mean, for one thing, he won the G1 tournament. He signed finally with New Japan. He had the outing that was kind of public and not also in public between him and Kenny because Kota signed to New Japan finally. Kenny was leaving to de- develop his company, obviously, with the Bucks and Cody, and they were split. You know, the Golden Lovers were split, but he's had incredible matches, and uh, I had to have him on this countdown, but... Yeah, 10 is The Fiend, a.k.a. Bray Wyatt, and 9, Kota Ibushi. Who do you have for 10 and 9, Chris? For number 10, I actually have Mr. Will Ospreay. Uh, I think he had an incredible year. He probably could be – actually, I didn't have – never mind. I didn't. uh, My list is a little jacked here. Uh, Number 10, sorry. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Will Ospreay uh, is higher on my list. Uh, Number 10, I have Tetsuya Naito. Um, I thought he had a really good G1 showing and some great matches there. Uh, I think this year will really be the year that, you know, more so this year with him carrying the title now, probably put him way higher on the list when we go back and do these top tens, uh, next, next January. Um, but right now I had him at number 10 at number nine. I had Keith Lee. I think Keith Lee had a, a big breakout year, especially headed into the new year. Um, and over the, you know, obviously with the way that he was put, booked on the main roster, he's an incredible joy to watch. I think he had some great big guy matches with Dijakovic. Um, and I look forward to seeing what he does going forward. But uh, that is my number 10 and number nine. As far as honorable mentions go, I had Matt Riddle, uh, John Moxley, and Kota Ibushi. So there's going to be some people that are probably pissed off as my list. But as we go through this, uh, <laughs> As we go through this, I could make justifications for why some of these uh, other people are on here. Yeah, I mean, and, and to me, uh, Keith Lee, definitely, I, it was very hard for the listen. But Cianito kind of, to me, 
personally, it's kind of like AJ and, and Kenny. I just didn't feel like now this year going forward is a little bit different. And obviously you had a great G1 performance, like you said, but it's like if you're evaluating it, you know, I'm going to – I'll just spoil it. Uh, Usos is my favorite tag team probably. You know, them and the Young Bucks, I wish they would actually fight. Usos are not in my top five tag teams of this year. It just uh, – you can't really – it's got to be based off performance, you know, and, and how they're built. So I completely get that. And, uh, you know, that's why we do this. If you're mad at us, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Chris says hit him up on Twitter. You can hit me up on Twitter too. Uh, but uh, long listeners will know why that's kind of a joke for hitting up me on Twitter. Anyways, uh, let's go to my – my eight and seven are kind of funny, uh, to me at least, because, well, they've been so grouped together but done such things so differently uh, apart from each other. My number eight is Seth Rollins. Uh, look, I can't even, – even as polarizing as Seth Rollins has become, you can't say that he wasn't huge at the beginning of this year. Everyone was loving on him. And then he got an incapable concept, beat Brock Lesnar twice, had the belt, and because of that booking got extremely stagnant, definitely did – has redeveloped himself, but in a lot of ways, I can't say that he didn't have a pretty damn good year this year. So, Seth Rollins is at eight. His old uh, shield partner, Mr. John Moxley, is going to be my number seven. John, you know, didn't have the greatest year when he was still part of WWE, obviously, at Dean Ambrose. But once the video he made came out with all the what's going to happen and then him showing up at double or nothing and then him over at the G1 tournament and collectively doing his thing and rebranding himself. This is the person I was referring to him and Bray Wyatt, I think have changed out their, their looks uh, to the audience, which were beforehand. I, I think that was going to be a hard thing for them to do, but they were able to kind of show different sides of themselves. And John Moxley in Japan, rumbling with everyone beating the living hell. And then AEW being a huge person on that show, no titles, but well, no, actually, that's not true. The U.S. title. But, like, no major heavyweight titles, I should say, for either one of those places. But still, I think he had reason to be on my list. Chris, what do you have for eight and seven? For uh, number eight, I have Mr. Pete Dunn. I think he had an incredible year, tons of great matches. Um, I want to see him utilized more in NXT going forward this year. I would like to see him maybe get even get a run with the title. Um, but everything he does in the ring, uh, whether it's in NXT or NXT UK, has been just a, a joy to watch. Um, I don't think I've seen that man have a bad match, so I felt like he needed to make my list. So at number eight, I have Pete Dunn. At number seven, I have Mr. Kofi Kingston. I think uh, Kofi, once again, that run he had from Mania for about six months, he was booked so dominant and had... Uh, such a good run with some really good matches in there in between. Um, there's a few matches that kind of knocked him down or he would have been higher on my list, uh, specifically the stuff with Ziggler I didn't think was that great. Uh, and then obviously the the way he was booked to lose the title, which you can't really put on Kofi uh, himself. But he was really, really fun to watch. I think that was a really great moment seeing him win at Mania and the build-up to Mania. Um, headed out, you know, at the beginning of last year, and then over the summer, just kind of the dominance of him carrying that title. They did a really good job with it. I would love to see him get the belt again down the line. I don't know how realistic that is from, you know, looking at WWE currently, but uh, that is my number eight and seven. At number eight, I have Pete Dunn, and at number seven, I have Kofi Kingston. 
Well, my uh, number six is actually Kofi Kingston for pretty much the same reasons that you were saying. I think that he had a pretty damn incredible year, an incredible organic run, uh, which is very hard to find in wrestling where everyone just lashed to him and wanted him to be the guy to do certain things. And definitely Daniel Bryan was involved in pushing that. And it happened on accident a bit with um, Mustafa Ali being taken out of the picture due to injury and Kofi stepping up in that. But everyone jumped on Kofi mania and he was a very dominant champion. Yeah. Some of it was a little bit lackluster. uh, Some of his feuds and the ending really sucked, but then he went and jumped right on becoming the tag team champs again, because the new day is one of the greatest tag team um, sanctions, I would say, in modern wrestling. Um, and, yeah, the man is a badass. And, I mean, first, African-born, uh, you know, Amer- black champion. That's a huge thing. That's a, that's a big deal. And I think the match was really good. It almost made my top five, but there were some other matches that, you know, were a little bit better. But the ending itself is up there to me when it comes to final championship moments up there, you know, with a lot of the ones that we've seen in the past, like the emotional moment when Cody won the NWA championship, like that to me, the moment itself was bigger than the actual match itself. So thank you, Kofi Kingston. And then um, a guy that you kind of said earlier uh, a little bit, uh, you know, my number five is going to be Will Ospreay. Um, I think that Will Ospreay has had an incredible year. Uh, he's been – he won the Super Juniors. He did a great job in the, the G1 tournament. Uh, his match with the Okada on day seven or day six, I believe, was absolutely incredible. He had matches uh, – another great match with Shingo Takage. Like, Lossbray is a machine. He has shown the reason why he is – and can we just stop, like, this whole entire – just because it, it annoys me. It annoys Kenny Omega. It probably annoys Will Ospreay, Jay White. He's not the new Kenny Omega. He's the new Supreme Gaijin wrestler. Um, and I think that's much more important the way that you should look at it, if anything. Uh, you know, now going into this year, it's weird. He lost the title to uh, a, re- a returning uh, time bomb. And it looks like he'll be positioned in the heavyweight division. But Will Ospreay is one of the best in-ring performers. And uh, that's why he, he, made, he had to make my list. He had outstanding matches consistently. What do you got, Chris? So for number six, I actually have, I guess him and Kofi kind of went hand in hand this year, but I have Daniel Bryan. I think he did a lot with what he was given booking wise. I think he had a great, some great matches throughout the year. Um, I didn't necessarily care for him being kind of put into that Roman Reigns angle, but we ended up getting a pretty, a pretty good match out of it. Surprisingly, um, the, the, all of the stuff with Rowan, I wasn't a huge fan of, but I think that Daniel Bryan had a great year. It was good to see him kind of come back in full swing. Uh, obviously headed into this new year, we we get kind of we're, we're back to uh, good guy Daniel Bryan, the the underdog himself. Uh, he's also the only person I've seen have a good match with Bray Wyatt since Bray Wyatt came back. Uh, so I look forward to seeing what he's able to do going forward. I, I think that he's probably going to end up getting a big push again. Um, but I put him at number six on my list. I think he, he kind of took uh, chicken shit and turned it into chicken salad with some of his booking. And as always, he's just incredible in the fucking ring. Um, and so great to see him back for a full year. Um, so that is my number six is Daniel Bryan. And at my number five, a man who 
had some of the best matches, in my opinion, at least on in America. We'll go with that. But uh, my number five is another underdog in Johnny Gargano. I mean, all of the takeover matches, um, just his championship brought, or his, yeah, I guess he did have the championship this year, I want to say, because I think he drafted Adam Cole. Um, he did. All, all of the uh, NXT takeovers that he had, the little bit of the championship run he had, um, I mean, every one of those matches <laughs> that he had with Adam Cole, I think you could easily put on somewhere in match of the year, you know, if you really wanted to. Uh, so it, it's just incredible to see see how fucking good he was this year. So my number five is Johnny Gargano. My number six is Daniel Bryan. All right. My number four is actually, and I can't believe he's at four. <laughs> he's usually way higher. Uh, and that, that is the former IWGP heavyweight champion, Kazuchika Okada. Uh, incredible showing in the G1, dominant champion. Uh, it's, I think the reason why he's at four, I mean, he's, he's, it's still in my fucking top five, but i got to explain this. I think the reason why he's at four is even though he was dominant, he just seems like a safe person to put the belt to, which is obviously why they always end up back with Okada the last couple times, and that he's there to put out efficient matches. Basically, he didn't, like, beforehand, I think that he's had stuff that's been game-changing a bit, but now it's like we just, we're, we're kind of used to him. I don't know if that's a complacency concept that's on me as a viewer, but, I mean, he's still, like I said, he's, he's four on my list, but I know that some people out there are going to want to wring my neck for saying this, and he's usually a little bit higher. I think he's usually always two or one for me. Um, and then after that, I actually have the current champion of AEW, Le Champion, Mr. Chris Jericho, Y2J. I mean, <laughs> for, for being the, the guy to come to AEW, and a lot of people, because remember, Kenny wasn't, wasn't, wasn't signed when they first made the press conference. They were kind of annoyed that Kenny wasn't the announcement and Chris Jericho was. Chris Jericho has shown why he is the guy to have the championship belt on, why he is the premier wrestler for AEW, because he brings eyes. He's incredible you know, with his gift of gab. Um, and even for his age, he's still cutting great matches. The fact that he, you know, obviously it's not counting, but what he did with Wrestle Kingdom. Well, he had a Wrestle Kingdom match last year, too, that was awesome. So I think that based on his age, based on his performance inside the ring and also with uh, promos, uh, Le Champion, Chris Jericho, a little bit of the bubbly, you know, has to be on my list. So Okada at four, and number three is Chris Jericho. What do you got, Chris? At number four, I have Cody Rhodes. I think Cody Rhodes had an amazing year. He is probably the biggest babyface in the world right now. Um, I think this feud with MJF is going to be great. Um, I've liked pretty much every match I've seen Cody Rhodes involved in it, it, since he kind of left New Japan, um, and he's cut some hella promos. So I had to put him on this list. He's my number four is Cody Rhodes. And my number three, um, I think we even have this guy in the same position now that I'm looking at it, is uh, Adam Cole is my number three. And I, I, for all of the reasons kind of stated about Johnny Gargano, but then amplified by his over-the-top personality, being the leader of the Undisputed Era, and and even having you know some really good matches with a, with a bunch of people on NXT. Um, he's right now, I think he is the one solid player, uh, right? Like as far as NXT, as they start to build up people like Keith Lee, 
uh, and try to get Matt Riddle back in the fold. But I think Adam Cole had a great year, phenomenal wrestler. Like I said, those Gargano matches were absolutely incredible. Uh, Number three, I have Adam Cole. Number four, um, Cody Rhodes. All right, my number two is actually Mr. Adam Cole. I think that Adam Cole has had incredible matches. Uh, Pete Dunne at Survivor Series, like you said, the two with our Gargano, especially, you know, the first one between the two of them. Uh, I think that he's an outstanding wrestler. He's money on the mic. You know, he's he's so great because the dude's trained. Like, it, it's like Shawn Michaels and, and Triple H are priming him to be, like, this perfect heel douchebag character. But he's got sprinkles of Jericho. He's got sprinkles of Flair. He's got sprinkles of Shawn. But he's his own dude as well, and his his undisputed era. They all had gold, which was a prediction they said from the beginning. They're still dominating, and uh, you know it's kind of kind of hard for me not to have him at number two. So my number two is Adam Cole. What do you have for number two, Chris? For number two, I have La Champion, Chris Jericho. Uh, I think it's it's obvious that he's super important to AEW. Um, but also the things that he's been able to accomplish in New Japan have been really impressive and a lot of fun to watch. Uh, he is the one thing that kind of each week when I watch, uh, you know, if I'm going to watch AEW or NXT, I end up watching AEW first because I want to see more Chris Jericho. I think he is the one thing that, that kind of sways me to watch that show first. Um, he's incredible on the mic and he's had some pretty damn good matches, uh, the one with Cody was was absolutely insane, um, and it's just been a joy to watch this new version of Chris Jericho from losing the championship title or it being stolen and then turning it into La Champion with a little bit of the bubble. Uh, it's been great, and it, Chris Jericho continues to be one of the greatest of all time, continues to reinvent himself, definitely – deserves this list. I think that the, the hardest thing I had with uh, Le Champion was whether to put him at two or one. Um, <laughs> so uh, congrats, Chris Jericho. You are my number two. And I would say that my number one, I mean, there's a lot of people that I don't have on my list. Like I didn't have Gargano. He could have definitely made my top 10. So maybe he's one. Who is it? It's actually Cody. I really think that Cody is the biggest baby face in the industry, just pure, you know, as far as kind of like how MJF is coming off as one of the biggest heels up there with, uh, you know, Kenta and, and Jay White and, and Sammy Callahan, just a pure heel. There's not a lot of people that are pure baby faces that are as loved or as channeled into the audience as Cody is. No, I, I don't even think that he held the NWA shot title into 2019. I think he lost it before that to Nick Aldis again. Another person, honorable mention, is Nick Aldis for damn sure. Uh, think about it. Um, but Cody's work rate, Cody's business mind, and what he's doing with this company, and us knowing that – I mean, let's be honest with you. I, the Unbucks are doing a lot, I'm sure, you know, are very heavily involved. But when it comes to a PR person to send out in front of people, when it comes to a person behind the desk – He's got a lot of stuff like his similarities like his dad. He knows how to do this. He's known how to build this up. And he gets wrestling, I think, on a different level. He Honestly, the craziest thing about this that I think about with Cody is that me and Chris have both – it's not what we've denounced him. It's like he's never been like the greatest in-ring wrestler or anything like that when it comes to doing crazy stuff. He's never – you know. He, but now he's really just zoning in. And it's funny because his heel work – 
you know, he kind of channeled, like I've said before in the past, a little bit of Ric Flair and stuff like that into it. But he's flipped it on its head and be able to be one of the greatest in-ring performers. And, and what I mean by that is, like people like Hulk Hogan and Sting that he looked up to, he knows how to read the audience and tell a great story without having to do a bunch of crazy shit. He still does stuff like that. DDP's another person, for example. He'll do springboards, even though his size, it doesn't make a lot of sense. He'll do, like, jumps to the outside, but he doesn't overdo it. And even though I love that art form, the way that he does it, he brings emotion back in wrestling, which is something that a lot of times, other than Kofi winning, it, it, it's not there anymore. You know, that, 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 that center of realism, I think, that Cody brings back to wrestling. And I think that he's going to be one of the dominant people when we talk about this next year. Chris, who do you have for number one? And just real quick, before I get into my number one, I'm just going to some honorable mentions uh, for people I think that if we were doing a top 20 or top 15 would have made my list. Uh, Matt Riddle being one, Roderick Strong, uh, another one. I think Roderick Strong had a great year. Uh, Shingo Takage, uh, amazing super juniors. He was a joy to watch. Him and, that, him and Will Ospreay was one of my favorite matches of the year. Um, and then uh, just also right off the rip, uh, Ray Phoenix and Pentagon Jr. I think have been a lot of fun to watch, specifically uh, maybe not necessarily in AEW uh, as singles competitors, but you know all around the world continuing to do their thing. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. My number one, and this probably is not a surprise to anyone if they've listened to the Decade podcast, uh, is Kazuchika Okada. Um, he is he, he's going to repeat in the, my top matches. Uh, but I think his work alone in G1 kind of cemented him on this list for me. He continues to be the best damn wrestler I've ever seen step foot in the ring from a work rate standpoint. Um, and <laughs> as always, watching him in G1 was absolutely incredible, whether it was him him and Tanahashi or him and, uh, him and Osprey. Uh, just, just some great matches all around. So he, uh, he makes my list at number one is Kazuchika Okada former IWGP champion. Hey, man, good list no matter what. There are some damn good wrestlers out there today. And like I said, if, I, I, I do, you know, every everyone that, that, including Daniel Bryan, everyone that Chris mentioned, definitely honorable mention. Um, Nick Aldis, I definitely want to say that what he has done with the NWA and being their poster per- person, you know, he's another person where it's like, I thought lesser of him. I, he just didn't have as much value to me. And now, Right at the end of this year, now that he popped in my head when we were talking, when I was talking about Cody, I definitely have to put Aldis in the honorable mentions, along with a lot of people over in NWA. They're doing great things, and that actually goes into my number ten for females of this last year. Uh, someone that kind of popped up towards the end that I knew a little bit through Mexico. She had, you know, well, mostly from from Lucha Underground a couple of years back, but you know, involved in AAA. Uh, she had her first MMA match, but I think she has all the potential in the world, and she's really taken my eye, and I like the position that they put her in NWA, and that is Thunder Rosa. Uh, I think that, you know, it's funny because Thunder Rosa made 10, and there's certain female champions that are not on my top 10 list, uh, notably missing Bailey. Sorry, Bailey. Uh, it's not anything to do with you. It's, it's go talk to your fucking writers and shit. Um, but I think that Thunder Rosa – is going to be a star this next year, and maybe this is kind of someone to look for, if you will. I mean, probably not. I'm just saying that, to me, she is pretty outstanding. I've watched a lot of her stuff outside of it, and I'm looking forward to seeing where she goes. My number nine 
is very similar to the same type of concept. I've really liked her. Ever since she was in the Battle Royal and All In, uh, since then, what she's done with Impact, Jordan Grace, I think, is going to be a dominant female performer. I would definitely say that if anyone, I understand why you would have Impact fatigue, if you will, TNA fatigue, but the way that they're doing it nowadays, uh, you know, with, with, um, with Don Callis involved with the booking, they've done a really great job of, of rebuilding and especially rebuilding the female division. They have some of the best female talent over there, and they book them extremely well. I mean, Tessa's up for the, the championship against Sammy Callahan, and Ty has had the belt for a whole entire year and has had great opponents uh, the whole entire time. So Jordan is definitely someone I see as future impact uh, champions, future women's AEW champion, future, uh, you know, the, 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 the world's the limit, basically, you know, uh, and I think that she's really good. But, yeah, 10, Thunder Rosa, number nine, Jordan Grace. Who do you have, Chris? For number 10, I have Taya Valkyrie. I think that she's had uh, she had some really good matches going back and, and trying to rewatch a lot of this stuff over this past year. I think she's deserving to be on the list for sure. Um, to me, she's kind of a staple of impact, um, and it's good to see. I think that she just came back, right, over the holiday, and so that's that's good to see. Um, but that is my number 10 is Taya Valkyrie. My number nine is Bianca Belair. Um, regardless of who she feuds with in NXT, it seems like the fans want to get behind her. I, I'm so surprised they haven't pulled uh, pulled the trigger on making her a babyface in some form or format. And right now, you know, they have so much going on with that roster, uh, with with a lot of people coming back from injuries and and building some different feuds here and there around the top title that she's kind of just been in the shuffle, but every time she steps in the ring, she has a good match. It seems like. So for number nine, I had Bianca Belair. Another, definitely a person to go on my honorable mentions for sure. Bianca's a badass. Uh, my number eight, even though I haven't been very happy where she's gone since she had her return, if you will, Sasha Banks, it's still one of the best female wrestlers they have. Unfortunately, they just don't fucking know it half the goddamn time. And when she returned and had her heel turn, it was something that was extremely memorable. Uh, it put her on a different position. Uh, I think they've kind of dropped the ball once again with Sasha. But I, she had to make, she was going to make my top ten. It, it took me. I, it, it's like I can't believe that she's on this list and Bailey's not on this list. But it's just how it works, uh, unfortunately. And number seven would be Yu Shirai. Her heel turn was absolutely incredible. Her match with Shayna Baszler was great. Her match with Candice LeRae was great. She is an incredible in-ring performer. Um, all these rumors about her possibly trying to go back uh, to uh, Japan, because WWE, they really need to work that fucking shit out because she's one of the most dedicated, I would say, performers um, they have. She's, she's very, very believable, <laughs> even playing a crazy person. She's a great baby face. She's shown to be a great heel. And uh, I really enjoy her work. Uh, and she's one of the best in-ring wrestlers, period, bar none, uh, right now. Uh, the way that she can do what she can do with her body and how, how confident she is just about doing a backflip to the outside without looking is something to admire. But, yeah, eight, Sasha Banks. Number seven, Io Shirai. What do you got, Chris? So, number eight, I actually have Asuka. Um, I think that she continues to be incredible in the ring. She's had a little rough go of it when they forced her into this tag team, but I think that she's been able to make it work. 
Um, her partner, unfortunately, did not make my list, but honorable mention because I think that they've they've taken something that I didn't think was going to work and have made it work to some extent because they're both damn good wrestlers. And uh, when you watch Asuka cut a promo in Japanese, she has more personality than 90% on, of the people on the main roster <laughs> in a lot of ways, which is absolutely incredible to me. Uh, it kind of reminds me of, absolutely you know, like Tanahashi. True. Like it reminds me of like Tanahashi cutting a promo. Like even if you don't, even if you don't have the a translation right off the bat, it's just the amount of emotion that that he's able to show. Um, and and that's been a lot of fun to watch with Oscar. Still not a huge fan of the Green Mist thing. I think that she could lose that. She doesn't really need it. She's a former like NXT Women's Champion and WWE Women's Champion, the first Royal Rumble winner. Like there's a, enough accolades that she doesn't need it. And to me, Green Mist almost comes off as like a baby face thing uh, at this point because the fans always pop for it. So I kind of wish that we get away from that. But outside of that, I think that uh, she deserves to be on the list uh, and was a lot of fun to watch. My number seven is uh, Io Shirai. I think that I I actually expected them to ever like already have her on the main roster just because of how damn good she was in Stardom. Um, but she's done great things in in NXT through. Uh, through a bunch of feuds. The weird thing about NXT is a lot of the matches that we've seen um, as far as the top of the card have been kind of like triple threat or four-way matches. Uh, but for all of the reasons that you stated previously, uh, Io Shirai is my number seven. So number seven, Io Shirai, number eight, Asuka. All right, number six is the Impact Women's Champion, Taya Valkyrie. Uh, incredible in Mexico, uh, doing double duty with Triple uh, A and also Impact coming over winning the championship, jumping off the babyface bandwagon, becoming a great heel, having great matches with Sue Young, with Rosemary, with anyone they threw at her, even if it's heelish tactic that she wins. She's a dominant champion. She's money on the mic, and she's a badass. So I had to, uh, you know, have her a little bit higher on my list. My number five is the former, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, NXT Women's Champion, the one that everyone hates, Mrs. Shayna Baszler. And that's because she's dominant, man. She made it look like the person was actually going to lose. You, you didn't know what was going to happen. You can complain and say that her style's boring and shit like that. To me, you know, maybe you need to take a little bit of uh, Redlin or, or just stick to fucking flippy flip flip shit, and you probably wouldn't be able to handle UFC. I don't know. Maybe that's just an arrogant thing that I say, but that's how I feel half the goddamn time. Because to me, when she gets in there, she's a competitor – that's going to be a great opponent for the person that you believe at the beginning. I don't think this person's going to be able to beat her. But a lot of times, almost every single time, they didn't until she lost, which her losing, honestly, last year to Rhea Ripley helped elevate Rhea Ripley even more so and I think actually brought up her stock. Yeah, the, the match, it's the, the long exhaustion of matches that ended up having the three of them at Survivor Series might not have been, I guess, what everyone wanted, but – you know, you can blame that on the booking of, of how many matches they put on these fucking things and a lot of other variables, I think, before you would have to complain about Shayna Baszler herself. I think she's going to have a great feud with Becky because I'm pretty sure she's coming out of the Royal Rumble. I don't know if she's going to win it or not, but I think there's a lot of stuff for Shayna to do. And, you know, just the fact that she's almost 40 and she's still able to kick ass like this, I don't know. I've never had a problem with Shayna Baszler. Like I said, people say that she's a female Baron Corbin. To me, she's the female Samoa Joe. And there's a huge difference. Chris, what do you have? For number six, I have Rio. 
I think that she has been an absolute joy to watch in AEW. I, I, it seems like there's there shouldn't be there's some reasons that like the matches get sloppy, but the fans still stay behind it. Um, not necessarily because of her. I think that some of her opponents have been pretty green, but like she's had some really fun matches. And one of my favorite uh, female matches of the past year was where she fights her mentor, uh, Emmy Sakura. Um, and for whatever reason, she just stuck out of my mind as someone that deserved to be on this list. I can't wait to see what they do going forward. Right now, that uh, the focus focused booking on Brandy Rose, I think, is detracting from that whole division. But Rio is a definite bright spot for me. So at number six, I have Rio. At number five, uh, headed over to Japan. <laughs> it's stardom, uh, something I wish I got to watch more of uh, as of late. But uh, I actually have uh, Awatani. I think that she had an incredible year. All the matches that I've seen were were wonderful. Um, it's it's it's. <laughs> It sucks that I don't have more time to watch more Stardom um, because they really do put on a good product, and I kind of want to see what happens now that they were sold. I know they just uh, apparently performed at Wrestle Kingdom. I think you you had told me about that on the uh, the, the last podcast on uh, Thursday. Um, but yeah, Otani had a great year. She's, if I'm not mistaken, I think she's still the current uh, – or no, she dropped the Stardom title this year. That's right. Um, and then let's see. I think she was also the Ring of Honor Women's Champion uh, before dropping it back in April. So she's had one hell of a year. Incredible wrestler. Um, I want to see her <laughs> maybe show up uh, in AEW so we can get uh, some of the matches that she's had with Rio in the past. Um, but I could also, I would also love to see her and uh, Io Shirai go at it again, because that's one of the best female wrestling matches I think I've seen in general um, was her and Io and, and, and her and Carrie. And I, I think that um, Carrie Zane, Carrie Hojo, uh, I think that if they were able to get her, that would be a massive get. And they could once again, get some of that incredible magic that she's had with those other wrestlers. Um, but yeah, that is my number five is Awatani. My number six is Rio. All right, my number four. Woo! Yeah, I know. I know, it's guys, it's crazy. Charlotte's at four. She's not higher. Another thing I feel like I have to explain myself, but very similar to Okada, even minus having not having a championship belt, she's been one of the best ancillary people to be able to go out there and do whatever they need her to do with whoever. Still put it on great matches, you know. Um, but it's like she's kind of also remained. She hasn't elevated herself. This, this last, the year before, her her match with Becky and what that did for Becky and what that did for her and, and everything else I think was, was huge. Yeah, she had that match at Mania that she was added to, which she was definitely sprinkled in there. Everyone was like, oh, no, why are you feeling? It's because she's the best in the fucking company. That's why. Um so she has to be up there, but for me, you know, she's just remained a dominant force within the women's division, and she hasn't really dominated, if that makes sense. So I got number four, Charlotte Flair. My number three is actually the daughter of another uh, member of the Four Horsemen, and that would be Tessa Blanchard. I think Tessa is absolutely incredible. I think that it, it speaks a lot how high she's always on my list, and she's never in one of the quote-unquote big companies. She's not in New Japan. She's not one of the prospects in AEW. She's not in WWE. Now, all of them now want her more than anything, 
but she's been able to do this outside of anything, you know, rebuilding herself a bit in AAA and then, you know, going to Impact now. And there's a good chance, because I, I'm almost positive Sammy wants her to have it, and he's the opponent, and I know Don Callis and, uh, and Scott DeMore don't really have a problem with it. She's probably going to be the champion of Impact, which is a huge deal. I know some lame brain guys that, you know, probably have small testicles have a problem with that, but I think it really speaks volumes, and it's a really cool concept. And I have to say that if you're not – I don't want to be that negative towards people that have a problem with it, but I just have to say that if you're okay – would it being believable for someone, and even though I love him, like Rey Mysterio being able to have a champ against another opponent that's way larger, but Tessa's a problem, maybe you should redirect your thinking a little bit of how that makes a lot of fucking sense. But either way, I think that she has done awesome. She's great on the mic, great in the ring, and she is a future superstar. Once she leaves Impact, which I think is only inevitable, she's going to be a huge star. But even before she gets there, She's already a huge star. So, Charlotte is number four. Number three is Tessa Blanchard. Chris, what do you got? So, my number four, I actually have Becky Lynch. Uh, I think Becky Lynch had a very good year. I know a lot of people probably would have them have her higher on the list, maybe even number one. Um, I've never been a huge fan of her current character, but it, regardless to that, I think that she's done a good job with uh, with it, and I know that she was able to get over with the fans um, that whole run up to WrestleMania, and then you know, obviously her beating Ronda um, was a huge deal. Um, there's, it almost falls into that Seth Rollins category as well because some of that booking that they did with uh, just that constant feud with Lacey Evans, um, and then that mixed match feud with Lacey and Baron really detracted. <laughs> Uh, some of what what I thought Becky good some of the good that Becky had going um, she continues to be a huge star I think that she'll continue to have a good year next year I she could probably be a little higher on the list but uh, I have her sitting at four um, at number three I actually have Shayna Baszler uh, I loved uh, her kind of the the match that she just recently had on the main roster I liked her. Uh, feuding with Becky. I, li- I liked what she was able to do on the mic, uh, come off as a legitimate badass. And then as always, she's she's a constant in NXT and, and a threat and gives you someone to build around. I know that she's not everyone's favorite, but I think that you know if she left NXT tomorrow, they have people that could fill the gap, but it would take a while to get there, um, especially as a top heel. So uh, right now I have Shayna Baszler at number three and Becky Lynch at number four. All right. Well, my number two is actually going to be who you're just talking about, which I guess that reveals number one and how much I'm starting to become a mark of my number one. But my number two, Becky Lynch, I think that she has had things. I mean, she was on fire. I think that when me and Chris were the highest about her was when she pulled the, she started beating the crap out of Charlotte and then they wanted to position her as a, a heel within it, and everyone was like, no, fuck that. And then obviously what happened with the buildup of her getting her face smashed in, it was like, God, that was so awesome for that period. And then they kind of doubled down and doubled down. And then her and Seth Rollins with their fucking thing, with, 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 like you were saying, with Lacey. And there was a lot of stuff that, that kind of killed the flame that she had going into it and going into this year. But she's still been a dominant women's champion. Uh, she's about to go against the person and try to take back her win in a couple of weeks against Asuka, who's the only person that's beaten her, 
or one of the what I forgot what the fuck the statistic was, but that's what she's going for with the storytelling. She beat Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair. She made uh, you know she she beat Ronda specifically at WrestleMania main event. Honestly, I, I don't think without her involvement, I don't think that you even have that main event, which is crazy because like I said, if you go a year before that, everyone was saying Ronda versus Charlotte. Becky became a dominant force. And then throughout this year, she has still been one of the people that, you know, is one of their main stars. Uh, it was like her and Kofi Kingston for a while last year. So Becky is my number two. And uh, I'm not going to give away my number one because I'm going to let Chris say his number two. Who do you got, Chris? My number two is actually Charlotte Flair. Um, she just consistently had good matches. I think that it, regardless of where they put her um, and what they want her to do, she's able to make it work. Uh, I normally would probably have her at number one because I think that to me, she is the best wrestler on the biggest show uh, being, you know, WWE. Um, but the person I have at number one is, is been fucking undeniable uh, over the past year. Um, but Charlotte is my number two. I think that it was important for her to be added into that WrestleMania match. I know it pissed people off, but uh, I think she's done well where they're, they're putting her in a tag team with Becky or, you know, having her have a feud um, with someone that maybe I, to me isn't, shouldn't even be on the same level as her, but uh, I, I've enjoyed watching Charlotte. I want to see them do more with her after they get through with this Oscar Becky storyline, I don't know where they're going to go with her. Um, and it almost makes me think that there's a shakeup coming after if Oscar, if Oscar wins the title, I think that maybe you get a shakeup that would split up that tag team or something. I, I just, something weird is going to happen there. But at number two, I have a uh, Charlotte Flair. Dane, did I lose you, or are you on mute? Yeah, I was on mute. I was I was sounding okay. pretty confident when I was going into it. Thanks for letting me know. Uh, anyways, um, so my number one is actually Rhea Ripley. Uh, I know that that might not be, like, everyone might be saying that I'm doing it towards the end of what she just accomplished in this last couple of months and not throughout the whole year, but – I will say you're part right, but also you probably should have been watching a little bit more of NXT UK. I think that the Cardiff pay-per-view in general was one of my favorite pay-per-views of last year, and I didn't have a lot going into that. You know, I mean, we'll talk about, at least specifically for me, Tyler Bate versus Walter, but also Rhea Ripley and Tony Storm. And she's been a dominant person. She, she was able to come over here and just all of a sudden become – this huge baby face where she, I think she was originally positioned as a heel like she was in the UK. I saw her during the house shows of NXT. She was fucking phenomenal in the ring then, super over. And then to see her climb and have like this Hulk Hogan style like buildup of dominance and be able to be not only the one to take out Shayna, but scare Shayna Baszler and take that championship away from her. Um, I think that she is a future superstar. And I... It came out of nowhere. So I know that there probably are ladies that have done better, if you will, of however you count that, or you might like more. But to me, Rhea Ripley is someone I did not see coming, and that makes it even better. Chris, who do you have for number one? Number one, I have Session Malt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, my number one is actually 
Tessa Blanchard, I think she had an incredible year. For, uh, that the feud that she's been having with Sammy Callahan to me is the definitely the best thing on Impact, like without a doubt. I think that she's the biggest star on Impact at this point. Uh, I, you know, there's some wrestlers there that I like, uh, Michael Elgin, Rich Swan, Brian Cage. Those are all guys I like, but um, she has just been a joy to watch. It doesn't really matter where they put her. Um, she she's just been phenomenal, and I think that she is the hottest commodity in wrestling, and almost almost to the point where I think you know when when or if she leaves Impact, she could probably name her price on how much money she wants because <laughs> she is the best damn female wrestler going uh, right now. I think it was would be pretty close between her and and uh, Charlotte uh, as far as like overall both in-ring performance and kind of what they're able to do character-wise. But it just like I said, her feud with Sammy Callahan back in July, building up to uh, Slammiversary, and then that crazy ladder match that she had in the X Division Championship, and then like that gauntlet match they just recently did, I think back almost before Thanksgiving. It's just It's just been crazy. And I know a lot of it is that she's getting mixed in matches that WWE won't do. Um, male-female matches, but not only is she there, she's having some pretty damn good matches while doing it. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think that, to me, she deserved to be number one, so my number one is Tessa Blanchard. All right. Great list. Let's go over our f- top five favorite tag teams. Oof, this was, this was another one that was pretty hard to try to figure out because, I mean couple honorable mentions. I want to put the Kabuki Warriors on there because God knows they were the only thing that kept relevance towards those women tag titles and their two amazing female wrestlers by themselves. So thank you for doing that. But seriously, Viking Raiders had a great year. I still couldn't put them on here. Street Profits had ridiculous amount of, you know, steam going forward. Uh, Girls of Destiny, um, you know, I love Girls of Destiny. I love LAX. I think that they're going to be probably in this top five next year. And the Usos, one of my favorite tag teams of all time, and definitely modern tag team. And, uh, yeah, those are honorable mentions. There's a bunch of other besides that. But, like, if I were to be honest with you, my number five, and we'll just do the single, my number five is going to be SCU. Um, I think that the current AEW tag team champions have been doing a great job. Honestly, and this is nothing, it kind of goes into the storyline, but nothing against Christopher Daniels, but it's just really specifically Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. Their their chemistry together is great. Uh, They're great first champions, I think, for AEW. Uh, They've had some amazing matches uh, with Lucha Bros, with with pretty much everyone. And um, they're they're both good on the mic. They both, we know that Frankie Kazarian could be a great singles competitor because we've seen it in the past. We also know that Scorpio Sky is going to be a future champion, or at least that's what I believe. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of hard not to have the current AEW champions on my list. So, number five, SCU. What do you see you, Chris? Damn it. That didn't work. Number five, I actually have Gorillas of Destiny. I think that, you know, obviously to me they're the best tag team in Japan. Um, as far as well in New Japan, I should say I I, I don't want to say the entire country because obviously there's some things that I haven't watched, um, but they're in a lot of ways they're like the Tanahashi of the tag division now that the Bucks have left. 
So I felt like they had to make the list. So at number five, I have Gorilla Destiny. All right. And then for number four is actually another, uh, well, once again, it's a trio, but really it's been for a while now, the current champions over on SmackDown uh, that have been holding it down because their third guy is injured. Uh, but Kofi Kingston and uh, Big E, the New Day. New Day is just a strong force in tag teams. They'll go on as one of the best factions of this era. They'll definitely go on as one of the best tag teams. And kind of like what I was talking about beforehand, we know that single, all the wrestlers can really do well on themselves, but together they're just dominant. So that is why at number four I have the New Day. Who do you have, Chris, for four? <laughs> Funny enough, number four I have New Day. <laughs> uh for all of the reasons that you stated, I, I, they, they were a joy to watch. I keep saying a joy to watch, but they were a pleasure to watch. Let's use a new, new word, Chris, a dead word. Uh, they were a pleasure to watch. I, I love all of the build behind Kofi, that emotional moment they had at, at WrestleMania, them coming back and winning the titles. And also to me being the most stable tag team in WWE on a consistent basis. If you're looking, you know, not including NXT because uh, that'll be on my list a little later, but uh, I, I think, you know, they're always there. Like you said, they've been great for years. They're probably going to go down in history as one of the best WWF, WWE tag teams of all time. Um, and they continue to entertain me and continue to have good matches. Uh, so at number four, I also have New Day. All right, my number three. I can't believe they're higher, but it's actually the way they're booking themselves. I love the Young Bucks. I think they have incredible matches. It's They had a flare-out, obviously, with, with New Japan, and kind of that was simmered. They then jumped up everything, and we're starting this company, and we got all the wonderful news about AEW. And they've had great matches. Their match with the Lucha Bros was fucking incredible. Um, a lot of the matches that they've had. But they, 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 they keep on losing a, a good bit of them, or if they don't lose that actual match, they inevitably use, lose a feud. Uh, so that's kind of taking them down compared to the two other people that I have that are ahead of them. But still, the Young Bucks, I think, it's, like, I, like I said to Chris, man, when it comes to, and I might have said this when we went won our decade, when it comes to my two favorite modern tag teams, it's like the Usos and the Young Bucks are fighting in my head over who the hell wins. And I just wish I could actually see that match in real life. But, I mean, yeah, the Young Bucks are at number three. Chris, who do you have at number three? At number three, I actually have SCU, um, pretty much for all the reasons that you've stated, uh, your first ever AEW tag champions. I think they've been on a little bit of a tear. Uh, you know, towards the end of last year, they definitely focused on Scorpio Sky, which I think is the right thing to do. I think he is a singles competitor that can break out of there, and you can still have uh, Kazarian Daniels have great matches because they're both great workers. Um, he is definitely, to me, the highlight of that tag team. And, and Frankie Kazarian, as always, solid in ring and has changed his style quite a bit um, since being with SCU. And he's been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but yeah, they, they are my number three is SCU, your current AEW tag champs. All right, my number two is a part of a faction, but specifically it's two guys within this faction. But, I mean, as far as being champions, as far as putting on great matches, as far as just being dastardly heels and just part of a camaraderie, I'm going to give it to the Undisputed Era, uh, mainly Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish. I think that they have dominated the tag division 
uh, in NXT. Um, and I mean, part of it's the fact that they keep on taking some of the other big competition and sending them up like the street profits, like war machine, but they beat them and they keep on continuing this. Uh, I think their day is coming and they're not at number one because they lack a little, they're good on the mic when it comes as a group. Uh, like I said, as a camaraderie, as a, uh, you know, all of them together, but to me, there's there's one tag team in general that was tag team of the year, and I don't think they're necessarily known very well as just being a tag team until specifically this last year or two. But Chris, who do you have for number two? I have the Undisputed Era. Redragon. If so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and get this out of the way and give an honorable mention to the Lucha Bros. Um, <laughs> as many good matches as they've had, they're they're always phenomenal to watch. Their inability to tag in and out. <laughs> on AEW Dynamite <laughs> pisses me off. So they got bumped off my list, but I do think they're a great tag team and definitely an honorable mention. But for number two, I have, uh, same as you, actually, Undisputed Error. Um, I couldn't put them higher. I think that they probably had some of the best tag matches I saw last year in general um, outside of my number one. Um, I kind of agree with you on the mic thing. Uh, they are kind of better as a group, but that's the undisputed era have been great to watch. And even when they split, split them up or they rotate in free bird style, it seems like they're able to continue to give us good matches and solidify, you know, their spot as the top tag team in NXT. Um, yeah, I kind of hope they never go anywhere. <laughs> I don't necessarily, I mean, as much as I would love to see them go against the Usos and, and the new day and stuff, it's also like, the thought of them going to the main roster and getting lost in the shuffle is, is really scary to me. I kind of like what's happened with the revival in a, in a way, but uh, yeah, at number two, I have the undisputed air slash. I think I put slash re dragon, but uh, the undisputed air. All right. And my number one was actually your, you know, you're just a honorable, honorable mention and that's Lucha brothers. Um, I think what, when they were on impact, uh, they were grouped together. You know, it was kind of the first time that that really started really happening. But their matches with LAX were outstanding over there. Um, I don't remember if it was them or the uh, OG LAX, but a, a, and it, within the storyline, uh, a child almost died by getting hit by a car in a, in a gang warfare. Actually, I think that was that was LAX and um, and the and uh, OG Hernandez and um, Homicide. Crazy shit happens on Impact. Uh, anyways, but yeah, Conan. Being in the middle of them, the mentor to both groups, and then causing some awesome fucking tag team matches. Normal tag team, hardcore tag team. Um, the the you know both of them individually, you know, and AAA, uh, both having gold uh, re- respectively from their different things, uh, and then over an MLW being a dominant tag team over there, and then now making it over to AEW. And their match, before AEW started having Dynamite, uh, their matches for the AAA Tag Team Championships with the Young Bucks, going back and forth, winning that feud, uh, but now kind of, now being positioned as just like a heel tag team and not really putting as much weight as I'd like to see in them. And like you said, Chris, definitely, especially in AEW specifically, like they have had a lack of interest on trying to take away some of the, uh, some of the bad stuff and I think modern Lucha Libre tag team uh, with the lack of tags and bearing your, your referees. But that's why Chris Jericho got onto him because he's even specifically said how talented they are. And I think that even though I would like to see them in individual feuds, because I think they're better separate, 
They're a pretty powerful tag team, and I've seen them have some of the best tag team matches this year, specifically the one with the Young Bucks at, um, I think, All Out was the, T- was the not TLC, but like the, uh, the huge ladder one that was fucking crazy. And then they had another crazy had, uh, hardcore one with LAX at um, Slammiversary that was fucking nuts. Uh, but yeah, Young Bucks are, or not Young Bucks, Lucha Bros, I should say, another pair of brothers, are my number one for tag teams this year. Chris, who do you got? My number one. Super uh, Party! Team. Yeah, my number one is uh, is, is the Young Bucks. Uh, I they, To me, they had two of my favorite tag team matches of the year. Uh, one that you just mentioned against the Lucha Brothers at AEW All Out. I think that match worked really well you know, in the confines of being a ladder match because of, uh, because of the, you know, you don't have to really worry about tags in a ladder match, um, which I think helps the Lucha brothers, but it was a, is a damn good match. But, uh, one of the one that stood out to me the most and, and really showed how good that they could be. Um, I want to, I want to say it was, hmm. Okay, yeah, I can't remember the pay-per-view, but the Cody Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes versus the Lucha Brothers, or not the Lucha Brothers, god damn it, uh, the Young Bucks. (laughs) Uh, I thought that was a real fun match with some some good chemistry and and their ability to turn on and be heels against uh, the beloved brothers of AEW, uh, Cody and Dustin. The brother and brother thing was a lot of fun. I thought that was a cool little feud. And uh, their ability to kind of just take a backseat while they're trying to build this tag division I didn't have as much of a problem with. I understand why they did it, not, but I also understand the other side of that sword, where it's you know they are one of the top or the two of the top superstars in that company, and it seems like they are starting to get more wins now, um, headed into the new year, and they and I think they did a really good job of helping establish that uh, that tag division, and I look forward to continuing to see their feud with LAX, um, and and at some point see their eventual title win uh, for the first time. That's going to be a lot of fun headed into this new year. But they were my favorite tag team of last year. I have the Young Bucks at number one. For an honorable mention, I'm going to put LAX here. I didn't get to watch a lot of them in Impact. Um, and I probably would have put them higher if their run their, their run kind of started mid-October in AEW. But they're a damn good tag team. And in previous years, they've made my list as one of the top tag teams. Um, so honorable mention to LAX, but my number one is the Young Bucks. All right, and let's move on to our last uh, list, and that is matches of the year. Man, uh, this was a fucking hard thing. And like, I- I'm the one who picked top five because it's like it's daunting if it's ten, but if five, you can come up and just at least be like, okay, I- I- I'm good with this. And I think I did that, but. Half the G1 tournament, I have to say, is in my honorable mention. There's so many matches that almost made this list from that fucking tournament. That's ridiculous. Moxley and Ishii. You wouldn't think that 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 would be a concept that might make a list, but I remember that being so damn memorable. Um, uh, Will Ospreay and Dragon Lee at Dominion last year was another great one. I'm going down like a list of stuff. Uh, The the sequel to a match that's on here, I'll submit, uh, between Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano, where Adam Cole finally beat Johnny at NXT TakeOver. Uh, in June, that was another fucking incredible match. Um, trying to think, Sonata and Okada. I forgot what night that was at the G1 tournament, but that was another fucking incredible match. There's been Will Osprey and Kota Ibushi. You know, there's been so many good matches. I think I'm happy with my top five, and I'll start the top five by having the Rainmaker go against the Stormbreaker, and that is Kazuchi Okada, 
and Will Ospreay in a match that was about 25 minutes, I think, at New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax uh, early on. Hold on, maybe it's on this list. On day seven. But um, awesome match. What's, what I love about this match is that there's not so much in it. Like, it, it doesn't have to be – I love New Japan matches. I love these long, almost hour-long broadways between everyone. But this was short, sweet, to the meat of it. You had a mentor-student aspect like you always do. Osprey's never been able to beat Okada. He's lost to him, I think, four times. This would be inevitably his fifth. But it was so crisp and perfect because I think that the – the fact that both of them are considered two of the greatest in-ring performers, but I think it's on different levels. Osprey is because of how amazing he is aerialistically. Like, not saying that he's not good at everything else, but when he performs a move, he can make it come off like it, I don't know, just a great degree, like it's so realistic and on the point. Okada not only is good at that aspect, and he doesn't do a lot of crazy stuff like, you know, flippy flips and all that type of shit, but the way that he get he answers certain moves, and, and when Osprey comes out and does something, the reaction they it looks like it doesn't look like Cirque du Soleil. It looks like an actual fucking fight, but with lots of martial arts driven into it, and it still looks realistic and crisp. And that ending, man, them going back and forth between the Stormbreaker getting reversed into a Tombstone, getting reversed into a Rainmaker, and inevitably, you know, two Oscars still Okada gets up and then comes back and gets. I think it was three Rainmakers for the win, one of them being the uh, the, tur- the twist uh, one that he does to put him down. It was an incredible match, and it, they didn't have to do a lot of crazy shit for it to be on my top uh, top five. So five, Okada and Osprey at the G1 Climax Day 7. Chris, what do you have? For number five, I have Cody versus Dustin Rhodes uh, as one of, you know, as my number five match. I thought it was a great match as far as storytelling goes um and i i actually as cheesy as the ending with cody saying he needs his brother i actually really liked that and it was it was refreshing to see dustin rhodes doing something other than gold dust i loved the promos going into the match i i loved the in-ring work and the psychology and the use of the use of uh some of dusty Rhodes' moves back and forth between the two um, and, you know, Cody doing uh, some of signature Dustin Rhodes spots that he's kind of started incorporating into his character, like dropping to one knee and hitting that, uh, that upper the upper hand chop that he does, that Goldust has always done. Um, it was just a, a real fun match to watch. I liked the feud going into it. So my number five, I have Cody versus Dustin Rhodes at AEW Double or Nothing. My number four is actually going to be Jay White versus Kota Ibushi for the G1 Finals. Um, this match was absolutely incredible. I like this match better, sir, better than the Wrestle Kingdom one, uh, and that's because it was like the two of them. Now, there would be a bunch of heel tactics that would end up happening because of a ref bump later on. But at first, Red Shoes wasn't having it. He kicked out all fucking Bullet Club. He ended up kicking out Kato, and it was just the two of them, and it was – uh, a good match of Jay being able to be a really great heel and Kota Bushi kind of turning on. This was really kind of that escalation of where he was turning on that Terminator mode that we kind of just saw him display over at Wrestle Kingdom where he completely just went completely robotic. Uh, but awesome match, and uh, it really stacked things against Kota Bushi. You didn't think he was going to be able to win it. 
And when Gato came out at the end and they started working on his legs and they broke the fucking chair over his leg and then he put him in that upside down figure four thing, you know, when 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 Kota was able to get through it to Kamagoyes, Kotobushi wins the G one tournament. Great baby face moment and a fantastic fucking match. Chris, what do you have for number four? For number four, I actually have uh, Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takage from Best of the Super Juniors. Um, I'm I'm not going to try to break that match down move for move, but if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. I think it went a little under the radar because Super Juniors kind of launches directly into G1, but that was one hell of a fucking tournament and one hell of a match. Um, and it was it, Shingo Takage kind of just ran through everyone going in, you know, headed into that. Uh, that match and it, it was just phenomenal to watch. So I uh, highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. But I have Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takage at my number four from Best of the Super Juniors. All right, my number three is actually going to be a match that you were just talking about, and it was because of emotional weight and the way they're able to tell a story within the ring. Um, I don't know. Uh, Cody versus Dustin was amazing at Double or Nothing. I don't know if I like this more or less than the one he had with Nick Aldis because the Nick Aldis one had so much stakes with Cody being able to win and picking up that belt. But this one is between two brothers and the breakdown at the end of them were both so emotional, but it shows you how great and how much legs left Dustin has. And he's still proving that. And not only that, but like just how brilliant that maybe athletics, like, like I said, he's not, all over the place. He's not a crazy fucking explosive wrestler, but when it comes to telling a story in the ring, Cody is fucking good. And the buildup for it was awesome. I mean, there's not a lot of stuff that has made me tear up, let alone cry in wrestling as of recently. And I definitely had a tear in my eye, but a tear in my eye. Oh no, that, that's actually Ric Flair. Never mind. I screwed that up. Um, but yeah. That was an emotional roller coaster, and I definitely enjoyed it. So, Cody and Dustin, double or nothing, was my number three. Chris, what do you have? Number three, and I, I'm going to go ahead and just give an entire shout out to the G1. Um, I, I tried to stay away from putting like a bunch of matches from one program um, or for, from one set of wrestlers when I was making this list because there was a lot of good wrestling last year, um, like a fuckload of it. And I actually came up with a top 10 list. <laughs> so maybe I'll throw some honorable mentions out there, but uh, definitely just shout out to the entire G1. It was incredible this year. Uh, but my number three, and the reason I, I'm saying this is it was damn hard to pick one match from these two guys, but I have Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole at NXT New York. Um, they had three incredible matches. This one just happened to be my favorite. If you haven't seen their series of matches, definitely go check those out. But uh, my number three is Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole at NXT New York. Well, that is actually my number two. Uh, the two out of three where Johnny ended up winning uh, and beating Adam Cole uh, for the NXT championship was a fucking incredible match. Their matches together were amazing. I did not think... And that's, you know, kudos to Johnny Gargano. Uh, he didn't make my top list of, of wrestlers. But when I really look back on it, he's had two incredible feuds, uh, trilogy of matches, one with Adam Cole, the other one with Tommaso Ciampa. And that's a testament to him as a performer. But Adam Cole, man, just being able to be that heel and just going through everything. You know, he first beat Gargano because he was being pompous. And then the second one would go to, obviously, 
uh, Gargano, and then the third one came down in that crazy-ass cage, but just a fucking awesome match. Uh, very long, but I think very worth it. I know a lot of people bitch about, like, uh, it, this happens with, with both NXT and New Japan about, like, the, the false finishes, but as hard as they were hitting each other, if if they got up from it, then I'm just going to believe that I'll, I'll, I'll go with it and not be such a, a crybaby, I guess, about it. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that would be my number two. And my number one is actually pretty out there. I'm just going to put that um, on the on just to let everyone know. But, anyways, Chris, what do you have for your number two? My number two, I actually have Tanahashi versus Omega at Wrestle Kingdom 13. Um, which was right at the start of the year, but it, and it was when I was going through this list, it's one that I had to reach back in the archives of my mind. Uh, the buildup to that match was actually incredible with kind of an old school versus new school and Tanahashi hating Omega and the way they built that storyline up to Omega dropping the title to Tanahashi and what probably, or I think that was his farewell match, right? I don't know. Maybe he works a date after that, but I'm, it pre, this was the big send-off match for Okada before you know the start of AEW. Incredible match. Definitely worth a rewatch. Uh, if you've seen it and haven't seen it lately, go back and watch it, especially because we haven't gotten that level of Omega in AEW, in my opinion. Um, but it's also one of the best Tanahashi matches I, I saw outside of the G1. Um, it was incredible. That was Wrestle Kingdom 13, January 4th. Tanahashi versus Omega was my number two. All right. And my number one, it kind of, it, you know, cause I kind of forgot that it was tonight, but uh, I'm definitely going to be checking out NXT UK takeover Blackpool tonight or at some point today, whenever they decide it's, it's different timing over there. But this is a match that was like, it was kind of like Rhea Ripley is to the women's uh, division, a match that just came out of nowhere. And I watched it, and I was completely awestruck by the performance between Walter and Tyler Bate at NXT UK Cardiff, their first big UK pay-per-view. Uh, that pay-per-view, remember, went against, I believe, an AEW pay-per-view, and there was something else major that weekend. And it, we were talking about that match and the match between Mark Andrews and um, – uh, I forgot what his name is, the tag match basically on there, and just the buildup of some of the matches on there, Tony Storm and um, – Rhea Ripley, and, and this was the best match. Tyler Bate, for his size, but being so fucking strong, and Walter coming off like the second coming of, of you know, Kota Kabashi mixed with 70s Andre, mixed with Arn Anderson, you know, mixed with Bader, and this, this one guy who's not the biggest, if you put him against some of the other big dudes in wrestling, but with modern wrestling, size of Tyler Bate and a lot of their roster, he towers over him. He dominates him, and he had a great match with Pete Dunne before that to get the title. But this, I, I thought this match was incredible. I watched it recently. It's almost an hour, but it goes by quick. You know, I think it's about 45 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. And they beat the living hell out of each other. Like, Tyler Bate, everything looked like he had, like, uh, like coral all on his chest and on his back from getting slapped around by Walter so much. And just some of the spots they did on the top ropes – uh, you know, just daunting shit and just Tyler Bate being able to do some of the strong things he did with Walter at his size. Awesome fucking match. Tyler Bate is to NXT UK what Johnny Gargano is to NXT. He is perfect babyface, 
not the greatest on the mic, I would say, but just someone you can put in with whoever, and he's going to perform with them well. And Walter, I think, is one of the dominating wrestlers. And really, like I said, one of my honorable mentions for wrestler of, uh, male wrestler of the year, uh, just from jumping up in the ranks, basically. So, yeah, my number one is Tyler Bate versus Walter at NXT UK Cardiff. If you haven't seen that match, definitely go back and check it out. I promise it's worth it. Chris, what do you have for number one? I thought Walter was going to kill him in that match. Now that I'm reliving it in my mind, <laughs> that was a great match. That's definitely worthy of an honorable he, mention dude, for my he, list. He, he power bombed <laughs> him into the fucking ring post. Just took him and slammed his ass into it. It was awesome. <laughs> it was crazy because it wasn't like a buckle bomb. It was like he picked him up in a power bomb position and then threw him 30 feet. <laughs> I remember that spot. It was insane. Um, that That's a damn good match. Definitely worth an honorable mention, and, and that's a great number one there, Dane. That's one that I didn't think of when going through this list, but that that was a great match. I probably should go back and rewatch that. Um, my number one, and I think this also made your list uh, a little earlier on, was uh, Kazuchiko Okada versus Will Ospreay, which was day seven of the G1. Insane match. Um you kind of get the junior heavyweight champion at the time versus the uh, IWGP heavyweight champion at the time. They built into the storyline that, you know, Osprey's already beat up from super juniors and, and he played the under underdog, but he, as always with these Okada matches, he used, you know, his speed and, and his hard striking abilities and kind of Oz cutters out of nowhere uh, to make it believable that he could get the win. Um, and at the time, I think Osprey only had two points in the tournament, and Okada was undefeated. So it, it kind of seems like that Osprey was going to get a win in this match, just from the way the standings worked. And they made it believable that he had a shot at it. And then, of course, as always, the man that makes it rain money uh, hits the rainmaker and gets the win. Absolute brilliant match. Loved it. Probably my favorite match of G1. There was a ton of good matches from G1, um, but this was the one that stood out to me the most and my favorite. So I have at number one, Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay, day seven of the G1. I also want to honorable mention because um, it recently happened, so I didn't really think about it, but I really love the match between Rhea Ripley and Shayna Baszler, where she got that championship belt. I think that they did that really fucking well. Uh, there there was a lot of good matches, man. Lucha Bros versus uh, Young Bucks. Like I said, that was an incredible match. A um, lot of good stuff this last year. But that is our year in review. And uh, we'll be back to you next year to knock over the decade, because that would be impossible. Uh, but to do this again, we're talking about the top wrestlers, male, female, tag teams, and matches of the year. But let's talk a little bit about the Wednesday Night Wars. I kind of want to not speed through, but get through NXT uh, so we can really pick up and talk a little bit about AEW. I thought that NXT, and like I said, this will kind of prove in the ratings. I'll, I'll bring it up, but I'm going to roughly, NXT had a little bit over 500,000, and uh, I believe AEW almost cracked a million. So that's not good. That's a very, very, very bad number. Uh, that's not saying that NXT did anything wrong, but the fact is AEW with their off week didn't do them that well, but NXT having a week where they recapped might have given them some ratings, but definitely depleted the viewership, and they didn't come back, obviously, for this one. 
and I thought it was a good show, but it stayed kind of on neutral throughout it. I thought AEW had some awesome highs and some big lows, but it was still a much more powered-in show. Their show last week was fucking awesome, and the fact that they had a very outstanding show the week prior with NXT just going over the highlights of the year and giving out awards definitely helped them out. But uh, I'll get the exact numbers because I forgot to bring that up, so while we're talking, we'll, we'll go over that. But let's go over NXT. Uh, Rhea Ripley opened the show. By the way, thank you, Uprox, for all the info of the breakdowns of the matches. Uh, Rhea Ripley opened the show with a promo to talk about winning the NXT Women's Championship. She was interrupted by Tony Storm, who reminded Ripley that she's beaten her twice, which is true. Storm versus Ripley will happen at Worlds Collide, uh, and I think that Storm is going to, you know, uh, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I think she's going to beat Kylie Ray tonight to get the UK champion. Uh they were interrupted by Kylie Ray, who is a current UK women's champion, uh, Io Shirai, Candice LeRae, and Bianca Belair. And I love Bianca because she came out and she's like, I beat you. I beat you. You don't even go here talking about Kylie Ray. Like, I just, I do love Bianca Belair. Io Shirai, just with all the fire and passion. I love how Candice came out there and she didn't even get a chance to say anything she was about to. And Rhea's like, let me guess, you won a title shot too. And this ended up, you know, resulting in a brawl. They kind of went to normal, I would say, WWE, not necessarily NXT, but normal WWE tactics. Set this all up. You know who the baby faces and the heels are. And then we came back to a match with Rhea Ripley, Candice LeRae, and Tony going against Bianca Belair, Io Shirai, and Kaylee. Uh, Shirai was setting up for a moonsault, but Belair tied herself in. Shirai dropkicked Belair and abandoned the team, leaving Belair to take a riptide from Rhea Ripley. So, we know that Bianca Belair is obviously in position, I guess, with uh, Io Shirai going forward, which is good because one thing that doesn't make any sense, Bianca Belair is not a heel. She is she is uh, dominant. She is full of herself. But that's more of like a – like I, I say go babyface with her. I think that – like very similar to Velveteen Dream. Like I just – I don't think that she belongs always with the bad guys because she, the fans like her. They want to root for her. So I think this is going to do that for her. But – um Nothing, nothing to write home for the match. I mean, the biggest takeaway is that Tony Storm is going to be going against Kaylee Ray for the tag team belts. And, uh, yeah, uh, Rhea Ripley is going to be going against Tony at uh, Worlds Collide between the U.K. brand and the normal NXT U.S. brand. Uh, Chris, how would you like this opening with the ladies? I, I actually liked it a lot. It was a fun, you know, triple threat match. Um, obviously, it's just it, it's it's one of those matches building – building feuds um and i'm as people know i'm not the biggest fan of these three-way tag matches uh but i thought this one was pretty good the one thing i will say is i really liked that show opening video package that they had it's one thing that nxt does so well is is is, uh the way that they cut those things together um i think you're probably right on the kaylee ray um she, she she has a title match. It's tonight, right? Or is it next weekend? It's tonight at the uh, NXT uh, UK show. <clears throat> okay. So, yeah, I could see her give, you picking up the title there and them doing a champion versus champion thing. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is they just switched from Sky Sports over to BTE at the start of the new year. That contract is up. Uh, that's going to include uh, NXT, Raw and SmackDown, and they're also going to be showing. Uh, if you're if you're a subscriber to BTE over in the UK, they're going to be showing NXT UK. So I think that would be kind of a launching point for both of those 
shows in the UK. So that that to me would make some sense. But uh, I like the match. It was fine for what it was. Um, that's I'm probably going to say that about a lot of this show because it was it. While nothing on it was blatantly bad or awful, they, there wasn't anything I hated on it. I thought all the wrestling was pretty good on this show. There wasn't anything that really like stood out as mind blowing, other than uh, the Kashida segment, which we'll get into a little later. Yeah, I'm sure you're excited about that, huh? <laughs> uh huh. I am too. Pretty fucking pumped. <laughs> All right, so, uh, yeah, let's keep on going with this. But we had our first match and um, for the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team. I think, honestly, it, it sucks to say this, but the, tag, the Dusty Rhodes Classic, which has been a staple with the NXT, might have been a reason why this show was on neutral a bit. But the first match, we had um, Imperium going against the Forgotten Sons. And guess what? Once again, the Forgotten Sons were forgotten. Imperium beat them. And I think they're going to go on uh, – Something's going to happen where it's going to be Undisputed Era versus Imperium. I'm almost positive that. Uh, I don't know how they're going to position it exactly, but I think that both those teams are going to be taken out, but both of them are going to be strong within this. So Imperium got a win, and uh, this was pretty funny, Chris. Uh, we had Matt Riddle explaining the origin of why him and Pete Dunne got together. And this happens, also a dusty classic, uh, classic if you will, uh, of taking two guys, say Samoa Joe and Finn Balor, and just putting them together in a tag team. So we just were like, Matt Riddle and Pete Dunn, like, what? But both of them are badass fighters. Matt Riddle is much more lackadaisical, but he's like the bigger guy, you know, which is kind of crazy, but he's like more cool, chill dude. And then you have Pete Dunn, who's like, is a, he literally is like a fucking like little mini pit bull who you don't want to fuck with, but, you know, even though don't, don't judge him based on his size, but they both just manhandle people. And they're going to be the broserweights. And I love Matt Riddle just saying like, so yeah, man, so like, I, like, talked to him, and I was like, bro. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, bros your weights? And he was like, yeah. And that was basically how the the, the birth of their tag team uh, happened. They're going, I believe, against Mark Andrews, and uh, I always can't remember this dude's name, Mark Andrews' uh, tag team partner. Uh, he's got, like, a the Who, uh, a mod, like, gimmick. It doesn't matter. I'll look him up so I actually know his friggin' name, but I think – the Brosterweights are going to lose, and then they're going to feud is what I'm assuming because uh, I don't know why you would take out one of the biggest tag teams in the U.K. to a tag team you put together. But I could be wrong about that completely. Uh, but what would you think about not only the uh, first uh, match in the Dusty uh, Rhodes Classic, uh, but also Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne now being the Brosterweights, bruh? I think it is an abomination that Gunner is stuck with Forgotten Sons. <laughs> I think I've brought that up multiple times, but like... Like, what the fuck? I, <laughs> I like Gunner. I liked him a lot when he has an impact. I liked him when he was in NWA. Uh, this would have been pre, you know, Billy Corgan, obviously. Uh, he's definitely the best member of that group. Just break them up and have Jason Riker be Jason Riker or whatever. Uh, it... it this, the match itself was fine. Uh, this is probably one of the better Forgotten Sons matches I've seen, <laughs> but it wasn't – they're just – I don't know. They're not clicking with me at all, so I kind of tuned out on this one. But uh, I absolutely loved the, the, the Kathy Kelly interview with Matt Riddle and, and asking him how he teamed with Pete Dunne, which I thought you did a great job of, of breaking down there. Uh, I think they're probably going to win that first match and then lose later in the tournament. 
I could be wrong, but it seems like you would want to, you know, if they go the standard route of WWE booking, it, it would build up to them maybe getting towards the end before losing. Um, but either way, I think the, them spinning off into a feud is very possible and something they probably will do. It's just weird because the crowd doesn't want to boo either one of those guys. And I think it's a little soon if you're trying to turn Pete Dunn kind of back into a heel. Um, but I guess we'll see how it plays out. Hell, maybe they'll win the whole thing. Uh, who knows? But it, I, the, the, as far as the match goes, yeah, it's, I just kind of tuned out on it. And I, I don't really blame Imperium. I think they're actually a pretty fun tag team to watch. But uh, the Forgotten Sons, I'm just fucking completely over. You forgot them. Yeah, so let's go over the Dusty Classic uh, within it. So in so we have uh, Imperium moving on, beating the Forgotten Sons. They'll be going against whoever wins between Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne, the Broserweights, going against Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster. That's the name I always forget, who had an outstanding match, like I said. Uh, and I usually don't like multi-tag matches, but last year against Grizzle Young Vets and uh, I think it was um, Gallus. Uh, but, man, I, I just don't. I could see them doing that where they where, where they beat them and have like an awesome fucking match and they just go on from there. But I could also see them, you know, splitting off and then trying to do something individually with those guys. I have a question about that, but let's continue um, with the rest of it. And then we have the Grizzle Young Vets going against Kashida and Alex Shelley, the time splitters. Uh, if they don't fucking beat that, I don't care if the uh, Grizzle Young Vets are the, the, the current champions. They, Kushida and Al Shelley need to go over there. That's my opinion. And then we also know that Gallus obviously lost against the Undisputed Era. So, um, very interesting. The two questions take away from this, Chris. Kushida and Al Shelley, they have to move on. Uh, even if the Grizzle, I'm pretty sure they have their tag, te- their tag belts on the line tonight, but even if they retain that, you can't just bring Alex Shelley in with Kushida and then have them not progress in the fucking tag tournament. And then also to that, if Matt and Pete lose and they have tension, will this be a way to position Pete Dunn as a heel? Because I doubt they would do that with Matt Riddle. Yeah, that, that probably would be the best way to go if you are going to turn him heel again. I'm, like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of that just in general, but yeah, that would probably be the best way to go. Um I'm stoked on the time splitters. They're one of my favorite tag teams. I loved uh, their work in new Japan. I, I've always been kind of a Alex Shelley Mark, even going back to uh, Motor city machine guns. I think he's an absolute phenomenal wrestler. He looked in great shape uh, from what we, what we saw. It's been a while since I've seen him. I know he recently worked in ring of honor. Um, that's probably the last time I saw him, but uh, it's going to be incredible to see those two in tag team together. And they're like immediately to me, the best tag team. And that maybe out of all of these tag teams, they're the best tag team in the tournament, maybe besides the Undisputed Air. <laughs> so I would hope that they're going to go for a long while. Maybe not win the titles, but I, I, I do feel I'm kind of in the same boat as you were. Regardless on who has those, uh, regardless of the titles, uh, they, they're going to go over. Because why, why the hell else would you bring Alex Shelley into the fold if you're not going to try to keep those guys together for a while? And I think maybe they... To me, they should see potential as them as a tag team more show with than Kushida as just a straight singles wrestler. Um, I think there's more that they can do with them on the main roster in an NXT and, and kind of revitalize that tag division a little bit there. So it's great to see. Hope Shelly actually sticks around. And 
we get like a really great run of time splitters, that'd be fucking awesome. Yeah, definitely agree with you. Here's another person that I'm very excited about uh, being involved. Uh, the second match with Austin Theory, who just recently dropped the Evolved title. He went against uh, Joaquin Wilde, who's a- a.k.a. Uh, DJZ, another incredible fucking wrestler. Uh, the match wasn't too crazy or anything like that, but both guys looked really good. Uh, gave Austin Theory a solid win. And, man, someone that's the body size of, like, a Chris Benoit, but gives me so much personality of a young AJ or a young Randy Orton. Austin Theory, I think, is one of the future huge stars in NXT and probably WWE in general. Um, he just... He, he's coming off arrogant. He's good. He's, I'm assuming they, they're positioning him more heel, but just his facial expressions, you know, his reaction and just his cockiness. Great stuff, man. I hope they do more stuff with DJZ. Him and uh, I, think it's, I think his name is Sebastian Shaw, but he came out as Dexter Loomis. We're both like, as soon as that tournament was over, they were just gone. I'd like to see a little bit more of them. Um, but uh Cool seeing DJZ back. I, I really just don't think Joaquin Wilde's a great name, but whatever. Uh, but Austin Theory won. Uh, and then, like I said, we had the uh, the second match. Undisputed Era beat Gallus. And this was an awesome fucking high-hitting, you know, got, they were just beating the living shit out of each other. Like Mark Coffey and, and uh, Wolf, is it Wolfgang? I, they're just not, not people to mess with, man. They just hit hard. And for being smaller size, so do Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. But uh, Adam Cole, of course, interfered, allowing Undisputed Area to hit the high-low on Wolfgang and win the match. I just hope that this is not the reason, Chris, that they position the match actually as Gallus versus Undisputed Era instead of Imperium versus Undisputed Era. Because that, to me, would be kind of fucking boring, if I were to be honest with you. Anyways, but uh, Joe Kofi's going against Walter tonight, so maybe he'll have a belt. I doubt it, but I, I don't know what the reasoning would be. Either way, Chris, what do you think about the Austin Theory match and then also the Dusty uh, Classic match between Undisputed Era and Gallus? So the Austin, I was really excited to see Austin Theory. We've been, I mean, kind of wait, we, I've been waiting for him to debut since he signed like six months ago. Um, you know, he did the thing when they did the Evolve pay per view, um, and then there was kind of was like nothing there for a while outside of Evolve which was weird. And also like the, the evolve thing with WWE in general is weird. Like, are they going to show any more of that on the network? I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. So like that was just, that was weird in general. And then he kind of didn't do anything. Um, It was a great little short match. I mean, it, it essentially was a squash for Austin theory without it being a squash, but he looked good in the victory. Um, I wish they would have let him do more since it was his first introduction to the, to the crowd, as opposed to just like rolling through a head scissors and then hitting his finish. Um, but it is what it is. That's, I, that seems to be how they introduce guys in NXT a lot of the time, especially if they're what Vince would consider new characters or triple H would consider new characters. Austin three, you know, it, he's not, he's not like Alex Shelley where he's been everywhere or, you know, John Morrison, um, so it, it I guess it kind of makes sense the way that they're they're doing it, but it I would have just given him more, I guess, in the ring, uh, to show off what he can do because he incredible and I like I said, I well, he we had, had I had him pegged his, as a future star. His uh his first match was two weeks ago against uh Roderick Strom for the uh NXT uh North American Championship. So this is his second match. Oh god, yes it is. Maybe I missed did I miss that match? 
That was that. That was it over was, the holiday. That right? was the week. So that okay. was that was the week where NXT just was by itself and AEW didn't have anything. So you might have you might have completely missed it. A lot of people did. Yeah, I think I completely it was a great missed match. it. <laughs> All right, we'll scratch that entire review. Um, I'm sure it was awesome. <laughs> I'll have to go back and check it out because I, I think I completely missed it. I thought that was the week that they were doing recap shows. Um, yeah, and then we didn't do a show that week either, I don't think. Nope. So, okay. We so didn't. my apologies <laughs> to the listeners out there. Uh, this was my debut to Austin Theory on NXT. <laughs> I stand by that. I think they could have gave him a little more in the match either way. But uh, I, as we've talked about in the past, I think he's uh, he can easily be a future star in WWE. I, I don't expect him sticking around NXT too long because I just see him as a guy that Vince will look at and go, okay, this guy's kind of got it, uh, specifically with his the, how serious he takes uh, his physique, but also his ability to kind of, uh, in a lot of ways, reminds me of AJ Styles, um, but kind of looks like John Cena. So it just seems like something that Vince yeah. would jump on pretty quickly. Uh, and the, the Undisputed match, I liked it just fine. Um, I'm, I'm with you. Hopefully that wasn't just to set up the very next match being Undisputed versus Gallus. Um, but I guess we'll see, right? We will see. And uh, Johnny Gargano came out. He tried to talk a bunch of shit about Finn Balor. Uh, I love Johnny. I think he's a great wrestler. But Mike's up is not his best. And honestly, even though Finn, especially, well, when he was in WWE as a super babyface, his stuff wasn't that great. But him coming out... I thought he made Johnny look just fucking terrible. He just he called him Johnny Promo because that's the only thing he can do because that's the only thing he's cleared for. Uh, and he said he'd take him out at Portland, and now the match is going to be uh, Johnny Gargano versus Finn Balor. I thought that was awesome. I said, like I said, Alex Shelley will be the uh, partner for Kushida, and we had a match between Mia Yim against Caden Carter. Uh, and basically what happened in the match, Carter jumped off with the protection neck after the match, Chelsea attacked Yim. Green is being managed by Robert Stone, who's known for for a lot of people by Robert uh, Robbie E. Uh, and this is his new uh, like Robert Stone faction or whatever. Kind of interesting. I don't know a lot about Robbie E, but uh, I'm definitely down to check that out. Uh, and we're gonna have a, a battle royal next week to figure out who Rhea Ripley's opponent will be at Takeover Portland. But uh, before we get to the uh, main event. Chris, what'd you think about Gargano uh, and get against Baylor or the Baylor Balor on the mic, and then also what'd you think about Mia Yim uh, beating Caden uh, Carter, but then now Chelsea Green coming out and this new Robbie E faction from the new Robert Stone, if you will. Uh, I thought Balor was great on the mic. I'm looking forward to that match. Um, it that that the Johnny promo line was fucking hilarious. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one for sure. I think it's going to be a great match. Did you talk about the Cameron Grimes promo at all? <laughs> Where he just basically went full fucking Ultimate Warrior and just <laughs> was acting like a crazy man? You know what? I remember that, but that's not even listed on here. But, yeah, by by all means, we're going to talk about the match with him involved in it. But, <laughs> yeah, what the hell was that? I have no idea. It was a level of Ultimate Warrior. That's like what it sounded like. I he went completely bonkers. Um, that's the best way to put it. Uh, the Mia Yim Caden Carter match. I I thought it was good. I'm excited about Chelsea Green. 
Um, I liked her a lot in Impact. Uh, it's been – she left Impact, like, what, two years ago? Yeah, I, and I she know she was on my top ten year that year <laughs> for yeah. women, too. It's like, where the fuck she been? Uh, Robbie E., he kind of I, – I don't know how much you know about him, but from what I, I don't remember him was – so he was basically like Zack Ryder's Long Island Ice Z character, but in Impact, like a Jersey Shore type character. Um, so I don't know. Did that? It, to me, it didn't come off that he was doing that. So it might be interesting to see what he can do without being saddled with that gimmick, because that was like his gimmick throughout all of Impact, and he's actually a pretty good wrestler. Um, but it's always hard to get over getting stuck with the Jersey Shore gimmick. Yep. All right. Well, we had the uh, the main event for the number one contender, Fiddle Fourway, Keith Lee, Cameron Grimes, Damian Priest, Dominic Dijakovic. Awesome match. You know, one thing NXT does well, which are matches that don't normally do well, is like four-way and three-way matches a lot of times. Because they bring sequence in there, but they make sense. And they just have great timing a lot of times, and it's not just like visual noise, at least to me a lot of the times when they're when they're trying to plan it, as opposed to the the quote unquote main roster. But Lee Pin Grimes after Spirit Bomb to win the match and become the new number one contender. Lee will face Roderick Strong for the North American Championship in two weeks at Takeover, and I think he's going to take that belt. I could actually see the Undisputed Era losing all their gold in one evening. But that's a prediction for another day. Chris, what do you think about this main event? Sorry, my phone freaked out there for a second. Uh, easily the best thing on the show, in my opinion. It was a, a damn good match and a strong showing for Keith Lee. Um, unfortunately, I, what's crazy, because I, I sent you the ratings, by the way, but what's crazy about this is there's this weird thing that's happening where AEW ends and because – NXT has like a six, seven minute overrun. Everyone switches. <laughs> so like after the show was over for AEW, like 200,000 people left channels. So like NXT's overrun was like 800 and something thousand from 600, which was kind of crazy, which I guess just was to see the Keith Lee match. Um, unfortunately, it was also against probably, you know, one of the strongest things on the the AEW show, which was that Jericho, the Jericho uh, promo um, with Moxley. Uh, but this is a good match. I think Keith Lee, there's big things in the future for him. I don't know how long he's going to be on NXT, though, uh, just yeah. because, like, Vince gave him a he's standing a ovation. <laughs> yeah, he, well, Vince gave him a standing ovation after his showing. Uh, when he walked backstage, apparently, and he's a big Keith Lee fan, so I think he might be someone that gets picked up pretty quickly. I would like to maybe see him pick up the title um, if they, if you know, if they continue going that route. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see him sticking around. I the Cameron Grimes thing's still weird, dude. I'm still thinking about that promo. I have no idea what the hell was going on there. But this is a great match. Definitely a good main event. Um, probably one of my favorite things on either show, uh, either AEW or NXT. And uh, I really like the way they've been pushing Keith Lee. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's going to be interesting, but yeah, I tell it, it's like, oh my God, it's like Mark Henry and, and, and Dusty Rhodes and one person is a big bastard, you know, and just doing that whole thing, just being expensive. There's a lot of, I'm just excited. There's a lot of meat over there with Keith Lee. There's a lot of beef. <laughs> <laughs> 
the ratings, um, just the, the total viewership per week, uh, Dynamite had 905, so I was close, 905,000, uh, and then NXT uh, had 795. Uh, they went down quite a bit, and I think they were 50 uh, on the list of watch programs, which is not the greatest, but... I mean, I, I thought there was. I thought I actually thought their their stats were a little bit lower, but you know, uh, they definitely had a show where it seemed like it, it wasn't as exciting. I'll just put it that way. I love NXT, but it just it a lot of it. Unfortunately, some some due to the tag team matches made it you know not as uh, as tune in TV, if you will. Let's go to AEW. Try to get this wrapped up pretty quickly. Um, I'll, I'll say right off the 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 back. Their tribute to the Memphis wrestling legends, it didn't even happen on fucking television. So I was like, the whole entire time, I'm like, so when is this going to happen? And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, we did it beforehand. And I was like, okay. No, granted, I mean, they didn't have, they couldn't have Jerry Lawler. They couldn't have uh, either of the, uh, whatchamacallit, um, oh, man. Uh, God damn it, why can't I think of his name? And we were interviewed him. Double uh, uh, A, uh, Jeff Jarrett. You know, they couldn't have Jeff Jarrett. Honky Tonk Man is under a Legends contract. A lot of the Memphis guys would not be able to be there. But they did have the Rock and Roll Express, Austin Idol, Jimmy Valiant, Lenny Popo came uh, talk on behalf of his dad and his brother, which is when I found out on the show that they actually already did the the little uh, memorial thing. But uh, the, 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 it started off with Kenny Omega and Hangman Page going against Private Party. And for me, when I when that happens – I have the match on mute, and I'm watching the match, but I'm listening to the promo on NXT so I can hear what Rhea Ripley's saying. But it was a damn good match. Um, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page, you were kind of meant to believe that they were going to screw up because there's so much tension with Page and Omega, but they end up winning. And afterwards, we saw Pac just beating the living shit out of Michael Nakazawa that I don't think anyone gives a shit about, but Kenny does. And Kenny ran from the ring because uh, Nakazawa was getting the uh, brutalizer. Um and then Paige wandered out into the crowd and drank with fans during the commercial break. So Paige is having some issues, obviously. How'd you like this opening match uh, to start off between Private Party and Omega and Paige? I thought the match itself was great. Um, they did this. Am I insane, or did they do this Michael Nakazawa thing like two or three they weeks ago? They already did it. Hey, Chris. Okay. <laughs> Chris, question, real quick. What is the relationship between Michael Nakazawa and Kenny Omega? They're just friends? Because uh, I don't even know – like, I don't know anything about Michael Nakazawa pretty much. Well, the only the only thing that they've done together in storyline that that I remember with AEW is when Kenny was having a hard time lifting those weights headed into the Moxley match <laughs> or after the Moxley match. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what their relationship is. I, I, maybe they work together in DDT. That would be my guess because I don't remember Nakazawa being you, you ever see what really I'm saying, heavily though. featured in New Japan. If he's, like, he's yeah. kind of like the friend or manager of, of Kenny, they should kind of fucking develop that so we feel bad as an audience when he's in his ass kicked by Pac for a second time in a row and Kenny runs off. You know, I, I don't know. I'm not going to do this the whole entire time, but this is the type of stuff that kind of like bothers me a little bit. Yeah, I agree with you. It it's a it was a weird way to set up a, a Pac um Omega feud or a continuation of their feud, I guess. Uh yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent. And it's also just it you know, even if you get past that and you're just like, Oh, I guess they're friends, 
or whatever, and you just look past that, they also just re- they just redid the same thing from three weeks ago. It, I thought it was like a recap, <laughs> and then I was like, no way, that's like happening now. Um, the I do kind of like the way that they're teasing, you know, the inevitable heel turn of of Adam or Hangman Page. Um, and I like him, like him drinking beer with a crowd. The way that kind of the way we stated it is not like, and I, I mean, he was like depressed and drinking, <laughs> not like Stone Cold yeah. Steve Austin drinking. It would be the best way to to put it, I guess. Like Jake the Snake '94 drinking with, with the crowd. Oh man, <laughs> Does that mean? <laughs> nah, I mean Jake owns it, so I'm sure he wouldn't care. All right, so the next match, dude, I was really looking forward to this match between Rio and Chris Statlander, and they had a good match for the for the most part, but then this whole entire, I keep on wanting to call it Animal Collective, Nightmare Collective concept. Brandy Rhodes is on commentary. She's giving shit to everyone, doing a good job as a heel. I'll, I'll definitely say that. Uh, and then we saw that Britt Baker and Hiroko, um, Shida, Hiroko Shida, yeah, Hiroko Shida was in the front row. They were watching. Uh, awesome Kong and Melanie Cruz, uh, now called Mel, came to ringside during the match, and Cruz attacked Rio. Statlander took out Mel and Kong with dives, causing Rhodes to walk to the ring herself. Rhodes distracted Statlander so that a debuting Dr. Luther could crawl out from under the ring and attack her. The match continued as the referee saw none of this. Mel distracted the referee again, following Kong to trip up Statlander and give Rio the win after the match. Nightmare Collective attacked both women. Uh, Sheeta and came out of the crowd. Big Swole ran out, and Britt Baker didn't do a goddamn thing. That was the only thing I will say. I like where they're going with Britt. Everything else in this I thought was fucking dumb. Uh, I don't know who Dr. Luther is. Uh, it sounded like JR once again did not know who the fuck Dr. Luther was. I thought that given giving the concept that uh, – uh, what's his name? Uh, Excalibur tried to explain to us a bit. I know – that you know, me and you know wrestling pretty well. You might have not, you might have not known who Dr. Luther was, but I didn't even know who the fuck he was. Apparently, he's good friends with Chris Jericho. Uh, he was in FMW. Why don't I have Mr. Pogo come out underneath the fucking ring? Like, if it was Killer Cross, people would have gone crazy for it. If there was something asked by that, but that reveal kind of sucked, and I think should not have been near this match. I think you should have let both those two ladies, who are arguably your two biggest ladies have a badass match. The only thing I liked about this was Britt Baker's reaction because I thought it was the only good storytelling within it. The rest of it I thought was a huge bust on the show and just kind of made me roll my eyes a bit uh, with the women's division because they have so many good women talent. They try to develop them on their fucking YouTube shows and then they come back and then do silly shit like this a lot of fucking times. And it it did not work for me. Maybe you're not going to be as critical as me, but what do you think about this match? No, fuck, it sucked. Uh, not the match. The the in-ring work and stuff I thought was great. I think that, like you said, they're, they're, to me, they probably are their two top female stars, um, which sucks that they got put in this angle. Couldn't they have done this with someone else? Like, uh, fuck, I don't know. Um, yeah, this was terrible. Uh, as far as things that I have seen from Luther, I've only seen stuff from him with FMW, and I think – the most recent match I seen from him was probably six or seven years ago against Sabu on like an IWA show or something. Uh, I don't know a whole lot <laughs> about the Japanese deathmatch legend Luther. Um, I don't think the crowd did either in Memphis. 
Yeah, I, I, I know that there is like a built-in fan base for some of the CZW with Moxley being there and some of the some of the smaller Japanese companies like DDT and etc. Some of that fan base definitely transitions to watching AEW because some of the big stars are there, like Kenny Omega um, and John Moxley, etc. But I, you know, this one was one that went completely over my head, and I hadn't seen the, seen him in so long that I had no fucking clue who it was. If I'm being completely honest, uh, until they said Luther, and then I was like, oh, um, yeah. And this was another thing where <laughs> Jim Ross was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> God damn it. Um, I'm going to let it play out. Don't do a reveal. You know, like, unless this guy is, like, a huge star, do you need a giant reveal like this? Or could they just, like, have him come out? And the blade. (laughs) Like, just have him come out and have a match or something or, or, like, come out and interfere in a match and then have your announcers actually describe uh, who he is instead of doing this rushed angle right before a commercial or whatever. You know what I mean? I think that's the other part is when you run this stuff and it runs directly into a commercial and you don't give your announcers time to put it over, that that also makes it difficult. But this 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 Nightmare Collective shit sucks in general. So I don't, I I don't know that there's any saving it. And honestly, some of the guys that would probably elevate it, I don't want involved with it if they end up do coming to AEW. I don't want Marty in this. I don't want Luke Harper in this. I don't want Killer Cross in this. Like, come on. Like, what the fuck is this? This reminds me of Dungeon right. and Doom shit. Like, what the, <laughs> why, is, like, why, is, why is Awesome Kong in this shit? Does Ke- is Kevin Sullivan in AEW? Kevin Sullivan, are you He here? is. He's actually, he's actually <laughs> one of the agents. I'm wondering if he actually fucking came up with this shit. You know, if you listen like, to me, it's going to be a great fucking thing. Ugh, goddamn it. <laughs> I literally watched that uh, last night where Hogan falls into the actual Dungeon of Doom, kind of the introduction oh of the giant. God. And Hogan's like, where am I? There's no Hulkamaniacs here. <laughs> Stupid. God, if you guys uh, want to see some really ridiculous shit, check out the early 90s <laughs> in either WCW or WWE or some colorful fucking characters. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm realizing there's no way we're going to be able to go over all this. But I guess I guess in uh, hindsight, I should have positioned AEW before NXT, but that's all right. We'll, we'll go over the whole entire pay-per-view, or at least some of the things. I want to talk mainly about uh, John Moxley at the end, Chris. Let's jump to that. Yeah, we, we had some good matches. We had some great stuff with MJF. We had DDP coming out. Uh, Cody, you know, they, they need another week to be able to think, I guess, because Arn Anderson was like, fuck that, and kibosh the whole thing. Yeah, it's some good matches, but when we get to the end of it, we have no idea what's going to happen with this whole entire Moxley thing. Now, I know a lot of people, maybe I'm just naive. At first, there was no way in fucking hell that Moxley was going to join the the Undisputed Era. (gasps) Whoops. The Inner Circle. Uh, But, you know, the way they positioned it, the way he was on it, I was like, hey, man, I didn't think that Savage was going to fucking join the NWO, and then he did. He ended up screwing over. Uh, who was it? I think it was either Sting or, or, or Diamond Dallas Page, um, and then just completely flipped it. So this could happen, and the way they were positioning it, you know, it was getting towards the end of the show. I was like, wow, this is really happening. And then he requested the car keys, and uh, 
The one thing, I, I think he almost fucked up because he put them on the table, and then later on he went and grabbed them again because it was like, no, you need to hold on to those because you're stealing the car at the end of this. Uh, but just a great way to do it when Sammy goes out and Jack Hager goes out and everyone's saying, you sold out to him. And then he goes, oh, hey, Chris, real quick, your group's stupid. I lied. And basically, I don't exactly know what he said. Gave the paradigm shift, gave Guevara it, and bailed with the keys before Jake Hager could get in the ring and get the hell out of there. Just a reveal of having the shirt on. Like I said to you, Chris, it reminded me so much in 97 when they were trying to court Diamond Dallas Page. They brought up the history between Nash and Hall with Page, him being their managers, and then being friends, and then the whole reveal happened. He's got an NWO shirt on, and then as soon as Scott Hall, no, no, as soon as Kevin Nash is not looking, he gives a diamond cutter, and then Kevin comes after him, grabs a rope down, goes through the audience, you know, and solidifies himself as one of the dominant baby faces of that era. This reminded me a lot of that, and I think they did it very naturally. And they got me. They duped me. Did they dupe you at all? No, but I still enjoyed it. Like, I, 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 I never expected Moxley for one second to join the inner circle, but I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed just how he nonchalantly was like, I'm not ever going to join your stupid group, and then just hit him with a bottle of champagne. Like, it was still fun for me, and if people, you know, like like for you, being able to relate it back to the Diamond Dallas Page thing, um, I think I didn't suspend my disbelief enough just, like, thinking about how they would book it going forward. Sometimes that kind of ruins some of those moments. Uh, like as far yeah. as relating stuff back to the nostalgia for me. Um, so I could see how people could definitely relate it back. It, it did have that feel to it, especially, you know, the, the way he left and everything. Um, but Jericho continues to be awesome. Moxley and Jericho together is going to be great. And uh, I liked that Jericho said he, that Elvis was a jackass. The Beatles are better. And if Elvis were here, he'd kick his ass, <laughs> which is like a cheap beat <laughs> for Memphis. <laughs> but Jericho, Jericho threatening to kick Elvis's ass was pretty great. And apparently during the break, real quick, and I'll, I'll be done. Uh, uh, Sammy Guevara proposed the booty call to Selma Hayek, which I didn't see. But like reading through a couple of these reviews, apparently that happened. So I got to go look that up after the show. I think that happened on uh, if you're watching it on Fight or whatever. Oh, my God, dude, Sammy. He is a Spanish god. Anyways, great setup. Uh, I loved, uh, like, MJF on the mic is money, and I love what they're doing with him and Cody, and I love what they're doing right now with Moxley and Jericho. Good shit. Some stuff definitely needs to be tightened up, but we'll get to that with a new year coming for AEW. And uh, regardless who won the ratings, great wrestling remains supreme. Notice that we didn't even talk about Ron SmackDown. So there you go. Anyways, that is another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Thank you guys out there for listening. Uh, I'm going to just say on behalf of my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, uh, check out his show, uh, Hockey uh, – actually, just uh, outro yourself, Chris. I'm sorry. I forgot your name <laughs> of your show. Is it Skates to Throats? Yeah, Skates to Throats. You can hit me at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. <laughs> All right. And hit me up on Facebook, and, uh, yeah, just check it out. Another episode Wednesday of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. You guys have a wonderful day. And, of course, as always, let the geek vibes be with you. Peace out, guys. 
Hey, monkeys, it's me, D-D-P, Diamond Dallas Page, the king of Bada Bing, the master of Diamond Cutter, the three-time world champion professional wrestler, WWE Hall of Famer, and CEO and founder of DDP Yoga. And you monkeys, well, you're listening to Geek Vibes Nation. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Bang! 